Welcome to another episode of the Law Offices of Quibble, Squabble, and Bicker, running live on TikTok and YouTube, although TikTok just sees the side of my face and hears only me and no one else, so it's really a very one-sided thing that happens on TikTok. So just go to our, our YouTube channel at uh, Law Offices of Quibble, Squabble, and Bicker, and you can watch the entire interview. Today, we have a very special guest. We have Ryan Casada who is a musician based out of, I believe you're in New York right now? I'm in Los Angeles Are you in Los Angeles? You're yeah. originally from New York. Yep. And uh, he will be discussing his new album, which just came out a couple of months ago, just released a brand new track last night, which is actually quite catchy. So you should all check that out. It's called Closer. You can find that on his uh, website, which is ryancasada.com. And uh, later on, he may or may not be helping us out with our client. Our client today is Rock and Roll Coochie Who?, which is essentially going to be a discussion about uh, music and fashion. Don't ask me where that title came from, other than just basic insanity. Behold, trapped in a hellscape of their own invention, socially unaware old white men bound by the pretense of being fake lawyers yet knowing no law, no exquisite Latin terminology, they are inexplicably compelled to quibble over minutia, squabble over triflings, and bicker like those who value their backyards far too highly without even knowing the difference between an easement and an alleyway. At this very moment, you have entered the heart of the law offices of Quibble, squabble, and bicker. Let's get started. I want to welcome also Brendan and Greg, who are also part of the law offices of Quibble, Squabble, and Bicker, who uh, essentially keep me in check. So today we have a, uh, a sponsor for the show that once again will not pay any of our bills. And I think Greg is the one who found this sponsor. Greg, if you don't mind. Are you always the last one of your friends to be in the know, hip to the jive, on the tip? down by law, in on the kill taker? Are you tired of being Mr. Johnny come lately? One step behind everyone else with their firsthand experiences and anecdotal superiority. Well, quit your sniffling and sign up for our Novel Virus of the Month Club. Each month we'll send you a new novel virus, freshly hatched from one of the four corners of the world. Imagine the attention you receive as a trailblazing patient zero with news channels putting your face in the national spotlight. You'll bask in the glow of your envious friends as you regale them with tales of your strange new symptoms and your mass Sunday brunches with Dr. Anthony Fauci. Operators are standing by, so try the novel virus of the month club. It's infectious. Novel viruses contain lizard people derived tracking nanobots. Amounts may vary. Nice. There you go. <laughs> Did you say it's Virus of the Month Club? Yeah, I love it. Glad they gave the disclaimer about the nanobots and all that at the end. <laughs> that was, That's responsible. It is. So they yeah. should always have a disclaimer. Because you might not get as much as you want in some of the viruses. Some of the viruses will have less, some will have more. You might be disappointed with the amount of nanobots you get in each one, but there will be some. Is, is there, there any way to any... get a healthy portion? What was that, Brandon? I was going to say like an extra strength nanobot subscription, like for an extra $10 a month. You could probably do Yeah, we'll work on that. Do okay. any of them communicate with either uh, Bill Gates or Elon Musk? They all do, of course. That's a, that's a <laughs> they, given. They all do. Are the yeah. Rockefellers involved? I think is the real question. The Rothschilds? <laughs> the Queen? Anyway, let's move on. Our our guest probably is going, what the hell are they talking about? Ryan, right now, I don't know if you know, you're, oh, you're, you're unmuted now, so that's good. 
Uh, Ryan, uh, what did it actually take to finally get your album in full swing over the last few months? Yeah, to get it released. Um, usually uh, the writing process is always very quick for me. It comes very naturally. And then I recorded the album. I started recording it during the lockdown, like the initial shelter in place in 2020. And I've recorded like for a really long time um, because I was new at recording myself and I couldn't go to the studio. So I had to learn a lot of things. So the recording process took a really long time. And then I went into the studio last year to mix and master it. And um, then you kind of got to wait like six months after you finish it to be able to promote it. Um, so once it was like fully done, I was like, all right, October, let's, let's go. And um, got it out in a um, DIY fashion. And it did chart on the iTunes album charts for the alternative music. So that was pretty cool for me. Who nice. would you say that your um, style most emulates? Because I, I noticed that you have kind of like trip hop qualities to your music, but at the same time, this most recent song you put out definitely has a, a stronger alternative. Matt doesn't even know what trip hop means, by the it's way. It's whenever you he hop and that. you fall down, Greg. That's I he read that in an article. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Are you? You're assuming that I know how to read? Is what you're saying? <laughs> yeah. Um. Honestly, I don't. I don't know who my style sounds like. Um. I listen to so many different genres of music that I think they all sort of just get fused together and um, they all, you know, they all just kind of like combine into each other. Um, so I don't, yeah, if I had to pick like one artist, I, I honestly really couldn't because I changed genres so much. Would you have to cut high school to find time to record this album? Did I skip high Ryan is high 28 <laughs> years old, Greg. Yeah. I know, right? I was just saying, you look so young. You look but I did very... skip I did skip class sometimes to write songs when I was in high school. <laughs> but now I'm in graduate. I'm in graduate school now. Oh, you're going for a master's or a doctorate? You look very young. What's up? You're going for a master's or a doctorate? A uh, master's right now. What are you studying? I'm studying theology and social transformation. Interesting. Are you, yeah. you thinking that that's going to like uh, translate into your music or are you kind of like switch careers or what's your plan there? Oh, it's definitely already helping my lyrics and my writing style because I'm like learning so much more. My brain is definitely expanding. Um, but I don't, yeah, I don't know. I, I am an activist. I've been doing activism work since I was 13 pretty seriously. So I, um, I'm going to continue doing that and, and use this for that too. Well, I saw you were like on Larry King and on the Tyre Bank show before when you were younger. Yeah. Uh, are you like on a current news circuit right now or just planning no. to go into that soon? Um, it's, yeah, it's not really, I kind of like don't, I don't do much like TV stuff. It's mostly more of like community building things. So a lot of things that happen like outside of um, the media. Uh-huh. Like yeah. what, kind, what kind of a community are we talking about? Just like um, neighborhood, I, or are you talking about? Yeah, I mean, I I like serve mostly for the LGBTQ community and the trans community, and I and I've um, been doing that since I was like thirteen. So a lot of the work I do is like going into high schools and colleges and speaking about my own experience in hopes to like just bring some awareness to the transgender community and queer community, and also to like just open up some hearts and minds, you know. Well, that'll be challenging here since 
Greg and I both have very small, cold hearts and smaller minds. Brendan, but we live in Portland, though, where nobody has to make us aware about the trans community. They don't have to make us aware. No, they. I know them. (laughs) All of them? Do you know all? All of them. Portland, Oregon, or yeah, Yeah. Portland, Oregon. Yeah, I know all of Portland. Greg is apparently the entire trans community visits Greg's apartment on a daily basis, according to Greg. Did you already know you were trans when you were thirteen? Is that when you got into why you got into activism? Yeah. Well, that, that was a good open-ended question there, Greg. You uh, you were able to elicit a lot of information. With your, <laughs> yes or, your yes or well, no was, question. Yeah. Did your were your parents supportive? <laughs> no. <laughs> All right. All right. You're two for two, bro. So, um, like you, you said, you did a lot of like big media back then. Um, how did that transpire? Especially with your parents being kind of unsupportive. Did did you have a a mentor or a friend or or how did how did you go from my parents don't like what I'm doing this is how I feel and now I'm on Larry King or wherever you were yeah um I start well I was like getting bullied a lot in my middle school which led me to finding the LGBT center that happened to be in my hometown it was like the only one on Long Island at the time so I was pretty lucky for that um so I joined this team at the LGBT center called the safe schools team and they basically like trained us on public speaking and we would go into schools and, and educate and answer questions and, and do that sort of thing. Um, and then eventually by the time I was like 16, I was getting called to do that on my, on my own, actually when I was 15. So I went on the Larry King live show when I was 15. Um, and that was the turning point for my mom to start being supportive. Really? Because you were on Larry King or because she saw that this wasn't Uh, some phase or, you know, you were acting out or doing, you know, whatever moms think, you know? Yeah, Um, she actually went on the Larry King show with me and wasn't uh, very supportive yet. And then um, I think when when she saw it air, because it actually wasn't live, even though it's called live, it wasn't live. Um, <laughs> Larry, Larry King was barely alive at that time. So. Yeah. <laughs> so um, when she saw herself on TV, I think she realized like, oh, I should be supportive. Wow. What did Larry King smell like? Well, actually, I was <laughs> through a satellite and it was actually, uh-huh. it was when Michael Jackson died. So Larry King was like not available and Dr. Drew interviewed me. Oh, Dr. Drew from... K-Rock, by at least back in the day, before he had his own show. Wow, that's I cool. I don't think mm-hmm. it was K-Rock back in the, when Ryan was interviewed. That would be more like during the heyday of Dr. Drew's Love Line or something. Was that on yeah. K-Rock? I got it. Was that, was that a, yeah, it was, it started on K-Rock. I mean, you know, I mean, that was a long time ago, but anyway, whatever. <laughs> well, that's, it, that's, that's good that your mom kind of made that, that, what about your dad? Was your dad part of this scene or was they, were, had they divorced previously or did dad ever kind of? Yeah, my around? parents were divorced when I was like five, but. Oh, okay, um, so it was just mom. Yeah, it took my dad like another three years. Right, right. After that point, so. Yeah, now, I mean, now my whole family is supportive, so I'm lucky for that. That's great. That's fantastic. What was like the, the biggest objection from uh, your family in terms of whenever you're coming out and talking about being trans? What was something that would cause them to not be supportive? 
I think honestly what made my family the most worried was how that was going to change my life and that like just knowing that um, I would not be as as safe in the world because I came out um so I think that was what my parents were like most worried about was my safety yeah that is one of the bigger problems with parents I mean to be honest with you my youngest is trans mm. and uh came out actually to me I guess back about six or seven years ago and it was a a bit of a struggle for me at first because I'm like okay this wasn't anything I was expecting I didn't know that I was like all prepared for any of my kids to be like to be gay or something and I'm like the trans was still kind of a a new concept at least for me to wrap my head around I was like I always thought I was had relatively socially liberal views about such things and I realized that I had some preconceived notions about what trans was I mean having actually made fun of trans people in the past myself and so I was like well okay if you're still feeling this way by the time you're 18 I'll get on board and so along the way I was just kind of going well is this a phase type of thing and so eventually I realized well it wasn't because I realized also that there's no way for me to ever truly be able to understand what somebody is going through who's experiencing being trans. And so I was wondering for yourself, like what was the, the turning point where you said to yourself, I am a boy. What made you finally like take that? What, Cause with my kid, it was, it just felt more comfortable saying that to himself. You know. mm. So I was wondering if it was something similar with you. Yeah, I mean, I really, um, I think it was something I just like always knew. And then when I met another trans person, I realized that I could transition, that that was an option. Because um, back back then it really wasn't in the media or anything. So it was really hard to find resources or even, you know, it was hard to, to figure yourself out when, you, when um, you're not being represented on the media, on TV. So it was right. hard to um put you know place it until I met someone else and I was like oh this is actually like a real thing so right. for you it became real in that sense in other words you were having those thoughts but you didn't really know there was such a thing in other yeah words, like I know. didn't know there was a word I didn't know any of that well that's fascinating so mm -hmm. so what so at the time then and pardon me for getting kind of personal on this so at the time what were the thoughts that you were having? What was the thing that you were thinking that wasn't able to be actually defined for you? Um, I think I always just felt like my brothers. And then when I started to go through puberty and realize like, oh, things were different between us that, um, that that's kind of like how I realized. Um, because I always like dressed the same and we all played with the same toys. So, you know, things weren't really very gendered in my house growing up. Mm -hmm. So in other words, everybody- Did your mom and dad buy you like Barbie dolls? Would they buy you like girly toys and be like, and you were just like, no, I don't care. Oh uh, yeah, like we would, me and my brothers would all play with Barbies. We would all play with Matchbox cars. We'd all play Kinects. We'd all play Legos. We'd all play baseball on the front lawn. Like it was, there was nothing. My parents weren't ever like, oh, that's for girls. That's for boys. We just did whatever we wanted, like mm -hmm. as far as toys goes. And you should know that Greg's nickname is Girly Toy. So 
<laughs> well, that's, that's, his, that's, a, that's his stage name. Let's let's not you know get into all that. But, I played um, with Barbies a little when I was a uh, youngster. In and puberty, then you got more and, into it just, in the last couple of years. No, I made I made Barbie and GI Joe like make out and do stuff, and it was yeah. strangely it was very thrilling. It was I didn't know why I was confused. You did Barbie and GI Joe, not Ken. No, Ken. Fuck Ken. gi joe so i I, so in terms of your music now did you have a similar realization about you being a musician at an early age or did that come a lot later no i i started playing guitar when i was six so i always had um like i've always been into music i've always wanted to be a musician play music and when i was six i started playing guitar so i mean my entire life that i can remember i've been playing music what kind of music what kind of music did you first kind of gravitate to Oh, all the music that i listened to is classic rock in the beginning because mostly because of how like my parents so that's what i was listening to and um i wanted to play like classic rock songs on the guitar and I did and um and then I started writing songs when I was 12 years old and that that was just something that came very naturally to me I didn't think it was like different or anything and um I thought like everyone probably wrote songs like in their free time in their in their bedroom and just like didn't tell anyone about it and then um I started to realize like in my later teenage years that that was like like a special gift really. And mm. I mean, I can't explain like how to write a song and I don't know why I can or whatever. It's just like something you have or you don't have. Do you do you find that you write you write lyrics and songs first and then put the music to them or or does it more like you kind of get a tune in your head and then you kind of write lyrics to that tune? Um, usually it, it happens like at the same time for me. So I'll I'll just like start playing guitar and I'll start having a melody or Sometimes I'll make a beat first and and then go from there. So it it depends. Yeah, it really just depends. By the way, everybody, um, we do have a number of people watching on uh, TikTok right now, but uh, they haven't translated over to the YouTube channel. So if you guys want to look on TikTok, you can see the people who are not able to hear you. <laughs> they really what, what? love listening to Matt's monologue. That's, I know, that's, especially when I'm Matt. silent. That schizophrenic monologue. And they're just like staring at my gigantic nose from my phone as we have it going on TikTok. Um, When did you decide that um, activism should be part of what you do? So you were a musician first or activist first? Well, I guess you're a musician first, obviously. But but I mean, in terms of uh, in a more broad capacity, what actually... um, drove you into the activist role was it because of the issues you're having with your parents but i'm just curious how you wound up on larry king live and on tyra banks what got you to that stage yeah um well i joined that safe schools team when i was 13 because of the bullying that i was going through and i i quickly realized that if i wanted to change minds that i would need to um educate people and I realized like fighting back for me like I, I don't believe in violence I'm a very nonviolent person and um I would say that's part of my theology and I realized that really young that if I was gonna 
change people's minds and, and open their hearts and minds, it had to be through education. So I would choose not to fight back to the bullies and instead educate people in my school. And then that started to go into other schools. Um, and I was speaking with that with the safe schools team. And um, I was naturally pretty good at telling my story um, from a young age, from when I was a teenager. And um, like I gave my first keynote speech when I was 13. And then, uh, then at 15 is when I got uh, called to be on Larry King. They called the LGBT center hmm. looking for someone to be on. And that led to Tyre Banks as well. So did the bullying start like an elementary school? Was it that? Early? Yeah. I mean, I've been bullied my entire life. <laughs> so well, it got worse in middle school. I mean, middle school kids are kind of mean. Yeah. So middle school kids are the worst. Yeah. So was, was the bullying like at that point, was that were they just bullying you because kids are assholes and you were just a little different or were they bullying you specifically about kind of you know gender and kind of how you felt i mean was, did it start as one and then start you know kind of become the other or were they just picking on you because middle school kids just pick on kids they seem to have this radar of kids that think differently and they just zoom in on them I and mean, how did they, yeah how did they start? I yeah, I mean, the bullying was always, um, there's all like different things that I was bullied for, like the type of music I liked and what baseball team I liked, like everything I was bullied for. But um, really the thing that I was consistently bullied for was that I, that I was more masculine than the girls at my school. Um, and mm -hmm. I was just bullied for that since like elementary school. So the girls would bully you and the boys? Yeah. Mostly girls though. Um, and then in like, when I came out as trans, it was then it was mostly like teachers bullying me. Interesting. Whoa. How did the teachers mm -hmm. bully you? Just by like not giving me access to things that other students had, like the bathroom and things like that. They wouldn't basically. let you go to the bathroom? Would you have to pee in a corner or something? Yeah, I wasn't allowed to use the school bathroom and I had to stand in my school hallways with a petition. So that was basically my entire high school experience was like petitioning against my school for basic human rights. So if I'm sorry to ask this question. So if you had to go to the bathroom, <laughs> where did you go? Did you just like a pee in a cup at the, in the class? No, so luckily there's um, <clears throat> our school social worker was, was really good. And she would basically watch the hallway for me while I used the staff bathroom at the school which was like gender neutral. So she would just like make sure no one else went in there and so that we wouldn't like get in trouble. But yeah, she would, um, that, yeah, I wasn't allowed to use the bathroom. I wasn't allowed to change for gym. It was just all these things like that I wasn't allowed to do. Wow. Yeah. I've, wow. I never experienced that type of thing, obviously in school because, uh, you know, we were back in a time period when the, that wasn't really known about. I mean, there were in the news occasional um, reports of, people having uh, trans operations, you know, but it was never as prevalent. And I think it probably came really into the forefront of news and society when Bruce Jenner transitioned to Caitlyn. I think that's when it kind of made it. Um, and I think when Chas, uh, Chaz Bono transitioned, I think it was before then. And I mm -hmm. think it became even more accepted once the Wachowski brothers from uh, the Matrix movies became the Wachowski sisters. So... Are you finding that there's still a lot of bullying going on towards you or do you feel that's changed a bit? Do you, have you detected anything in terms of how people treat you? 
Um, I mean, online, there's still bullying and they'll, they'll probably always be, but, um, in my school, my school, there's like no bullying at all in my school. I'm in graduate school. So if like you're pulling that there, it's like, you know, how would you even be in graduate school? Um, but like, yeah, it's, um, I think the world is changing for the better. There's still, we still have a very long way to go. There's still a incredible amount of violence towards the trans community, especially towards trans women of color. So there's a very long way that we need to go to get equality and to just live in this world and, and be safe. What, what, what would you see as being the optimum state of mind for individuals to address anybody with the, these issues? Um, like people that are being bullied or what do you mean? Uh, the bullies. What what would be the way to 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 change? Have you actually changed any bullies' minds? Have you done? Yeah, that? I have, and I think a lot of that goes like to opening up to them and showing that like, hey, even though we're different, I'm human too, and I have feelings too, and um, really trying to like explain, but also with respect. Are you getting more inadvertent bullying? In other words, people don't realize that they are actually bullying you, or more deliberate bullying these days. On on the internet, it's very deliberate. Yeah, well, they bully yeah. everybody on the internet. Yeah, yeah. I get bullied <laughs> on the internet. I mean, yeah. So, how does this translate back to your music? Is is are your is your are your songs kind of an expression of some of this issues of humanity and 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 being you know a part of a bigger picture and not you know defining ourselves in various ways or 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 are you writing you know kind of some other kind of song, just your traditional sort of rock music songs? How does how does your experience translate into what you do what you're doing musically? Yeah, I mean some I mean some of my songs are about being trans, but the majority aren't. I mean, I sing about oppression a lot because I am an, an oppressed person in this country. Um, but mostly what I sing about is uh, like love songs, and um, that's I mean you know <laughs> like like every songwriter likes to sing about love or heartbreak, and that. That happens to be me too and i i enjoy writing about that and that's what comes naturally to me like and i i don't really decide what i write about or what i don't write about um like songwriting just feels like this this force that comes into me um so like i don't i don't decide like hey tonight i'm gonna write a song about being trans like that has never been a thought in my mind right or oh. i'm gonna write a song about breaking up or i'm gonna write it it's just just sort of kind of comes from somewhere and into you kind of a thing yeah yeah that's cool okay i'm curious as to why it is you decided to go into theology for your master's as opposed to more a music oriented type of degree what is the uh, the thought process behind that particular avenue yeah um i feel pretty like stable with my career and and i love what i do um i think my music has always been a way to help other people as well like I'd, I'd rather write like a song and be able to like connect with like my fans and be able to help them than have like, I don't know, do something where in the music industry where I'm not helping as many people. Like I like to have that personal aspect of everything. And I like to like, you know, go and play pride festivals and go speak at schools and, and do these sort of things. Um, I don't know, like music degree is like, it's cool. And like, you could learn stuff like to be an audio engineer and, and do all that sort of thing. Like if that's what you want to do or be like a music lawyer, but 
I mean, I definitely don't believe in like school for songwriting. Like mm -hmm. I said, I think it's something that you either have or you don't have. And obviously you get better at it if you practice and maybe read a lot of books or something, but I don't think that you can really go to school for that. Um, but my activism has always been like really close to my heart and that's tied in with my music. And um, I'm also very, I would consider myself to be a very spiritual person. And um, so combining like my spirituality with my activism work has, I, th I would say it's helped me to be a better activist and to just have the level of um, self-care that I need to be able to continue being an activist long-term because it is very um, taxing on your mental health and it's exhausting. And um, so yeah, studying theology, like in school, we're learning a lot about Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. and um, the, the nonviolent movement and ways to make social change that are um, effective, but also nonviolent. So when you're studying theology, you said you're dealing with Dr. Martin Luther King and nonviolent methods. I'm assuming you'd probably be studying about Gandhi and um, other people who paved the way for those particular yeah. ideologies. Now, when you they say will... theology, though, is it was there a particular religion that caused you to be interested in studying theology, or is it um, more all-encompassing to for like many, many different religions that you have the most interested in? And is this to like closer define the particular spiritual path that you're on? Yeah, I definitely want to try to remain as universal as possible and keep trying to strive towards towards being more universal about different types of religions. Um, I grew up like in the Catholic church and I don't associate with that, but I, um, I go to a Christian church that's very LGBTQ affirming. So I associate mostly with that. Um, What's the denomination some, of that church? Oh, uh, that's a United Church of Christ. So it's not really, it's kind of non-denominational. So it's very open-ended and um yeah I, I like that type of thing the best yeah we, we, we have a, we have a big when i'm in florida we have a big uh united church of christ in the st petersburg i mm. i built their website i i i'm not a i'm not oh, a cool. member of the, that church but they've got a lot of i went down there and they were doing a drum circle and i'm like you know if i was going to go to a christian church this would probably be one i might consider because they have mm. a drum circle yeah, I thought it was cool. Are you, are you one of the guys who goes out in the woods, Brendan, and goes plays drums with naked men? Uh, I might. I don't know. <laughs> he's not. He's not Iron John. Do you have a problem with that, Mister Portland? <laughs> no. I'm the one in Florida. I I'm should just, be. The... I'm just wondering if you have to like dodge the gators while you're out there. Oh, you definitely don't want to go near the water if you're naked drum circling. No, <laughs> it's not part of the scene. So Ryan, do you uh, perform music at your church? Is there like a rock band? Oh, uh, we don't have a band yet, but hopefully soon they will. <laughs> oh, it'd be like a worship yeah. team. So there's no worship yeah. team at your church? Oh, yeah, they just have like piano right now, but they're, oh, okay. uh, yeah. I mean, with COVID right now, everything's pretty uh, small. I'm very so. familiar with Christian rock bands because I would always go to churches to get the free food when I was <laughs> Oh my god! even poorer than I am now. I thought you just went through the dumpsters of the churches, Greg. I did that too. I went through dumpsters, but every now and then the churches would have like free food and you'd have to sit through the mass. And it would always be like a cool church like that, you know, like not like 
not Lutheran or something. It was like always some like a name I never heard of, a de denomination, some weird little church. And then it was the pastor would be cool and they give out free food, but you'd have to sit through the mass. And sometimes it was fun. They'd have a pretty good rock band. What kind of food did you get? Like meatballs and macaroni and cheese? What kind of food? Yeah, whatever you, you like. Yeah, like uh, sterno, sterno food. <laughs> <laughs> they give you jars of sterno to pop. no sterno heated you know would be like potluck style is, is nice. well, are you sure are you sure you're not confusing a church with a homeless shelter <laughs> they were like that i mean there's a lot of homeless people were there i wasn't homeless but i was pretty broke so i'd want a hot meal so you were take you were taking food out of the mouths of actual homeless people is what you're saying. No, it wasn't for homeless people. It was the <laughs> pastors would say. I'd even sometimes bring food and join the potluck. I'd be like, I got some bananas or whatever. All right. Well, on this talk of food, this is a perfect time to go into our uh, our food segment. Um, so I'm going to uh, share the screen here for everyone if I can get things work. Because sometimes I can't figure things out, and um, we'll. Uh, We'll get waspy soda pop rolling here. Food is freaking. Food is freaking. Food is freaking with waspy soda pop. Hey there, everybody. This is waspy soda pop. I've got a very simple, very easy recipe for you today. This is just a standard BLT sandwich. Here are your ingredients. I'll get right into it. You want to get four slices of bacon, whatever kind you like. You could get pork bacon, beef bacon, goat bacon, hippopotamus bacon, again, whatever kind you like. I hear hippo is quite good. You get two leaves of lettuce. I like napped cabbage, but uh, you can use something lettucey that you prefer, you know, not necessarily anything green because that could be jello. So stay with the lettuce. Then you want to get two slices of sourdough bread. Again, that is a personal preference, but you want to toast that. That's the best thing to do. One tablespoon of mayonnaise, you can get that pretty much anywhere. You're also going to need one pair of work gloves, one pair of safety goggles, a staple gun, one lasso, and one empty mason jar with a lid. You want to get two six by six inch pieces of plywood that they'll need to be secured to your countertop. And then you're going to have to find one very small tornado for your final piece of your BLT sandwiches. Here what you do next. You want to cook the bacon in a large deep skillet over medium high heat until evenly brown. It's about 10 minutes, you know. However long it takes you, like how crispy you want the bacon, you drain the bacon, slice it on a paper towel lined plate, or just put it on paper towel, put it on your head, whatever you want. Then you arrange the cooked bacon and the lettuce on one slice of the bread, which should be placed on one of your pieces of plywood. Then with your staple gun, carefully staple the four corners of the bread and the lettuce and the bacon to the bread. Okay, then you're going to spread the other side of the remaining bread slice with the mayonnaise. Just put that aside for the time being. I want you to then watch the weather reports. Look for forming tornadoes. Dust devils can work in a pinch if need be, depending on which part of the country you're in. You go to the location where the forming tornado is, lasso one of those baby tornadoes, and place it in the jar. you got to remember to bring that jar with you. Of course, put the lid on after you get it in the jar. You return to your favorite sandwich space. Cautiously open the jar. Shove that baby tornado onto the bacon lettuce slices. With your other hand, grab the mayo bread slice. Quickly remove the jar while shoving the bread on top of your baby tornado. There is your bacon, lettuce, and tornado sandwich. Hold the bread down. Rip the bottom slice from the plywood. Take a big bite. Mmm, mmm. You can't get better than that. This is Waspy Soda Pop, and food is for eating. Oh. There we go. That was fucking insane. 
Okay, now this is getting more nuts. I, I said he was a little insane today. That was what like I was Salvador dealing with. Salvador Dali's cookbook. <laughs> I don't even know the the first beginning to how you would actually lasso a tornado, but uh, hey, it's a BLT. Yeah. And what does it taste lettuce. like? It tastes good. The tornado. It, it tastes like trailer parks is what it tastes like. Right? <laughs> anyway. All right. Well, that we, we're at the halfway mark, definitely on the show. And uh, moving into our client, Ryan, you're certainly welcome to stick around. Our client for today is Rock and Roll Coochie Who, which is essentially just talking about how fashion uh, works into uh, with music and how music changes fashion, how fashion changes music, that kind of thing. Um, so, Greg, I don't know if uh, if you have a lot of thoughts about this. But uh, would you say that uh, fashion goes back to like the beginning of the origination of music or what would you say? I guess there's always been fashion. People yeah. always dressed to the occasion or, and there's always been music, but I don't know. If, I don't know if they necessarily have such a pull on each other. Like music is people like music that they like. And then sometimes there's a fashion associated with like new wave music. People would wear those weird little sunglasses and, checkered shirts but they still would have liked the music anyway it's not Weird like little music. sunglasses and checkered shirts what remember those wraparound sunglasses the one the una una glass yeah. like <laughs> devo you know i think i think what greg is trying to say uh oh hold on a second ryan was just sending a message saying he was planning to go on youtube ryan before you go sorry to interrupt you brendan ryan if you could like give your website information and where people can find you that would be great i'm very sorry that i didn't give you that opportunity oh sure thank you um my name is uh ryan casada my website is ryan so you can find me on social media under my name as well on all of them and yeah thank you so much for having me on and for listening yeah, and for those of you who don't know how to spell Casada, it's C-A-S-S-A-T-A. -A -A. I think I got that yep. right. Dot com. And uh, there's also a whole Wikipedia um, article about Ryan as well, if you want to dig a little more into him. Again, he just had an album, uh, just a song released last night, and uh, his album came out about four or five months ago. It's uh, There's a lot of really good music on there, so check it out, everybody. And thank you once again, Ryan, for coming on. Appreciate it. Thank you. And, uh, Bye, everyone. Thanks, Ryan. Yeah, I don't know if you saw, there was a uh, there was a comment on YouTube for you where someone said that you helped them come out. So obviously your activism is working well. Yeah, that's great to hear. Thank you so much. Uh, you're welcome. Sure thing. All right, back to music and fashion. And uh, Ryan has actually exemplified a certain style of uh, fashion too with his music. So it looks like he wears rather casual stuff and um, is fully tattooed as well on some of the videos that he has. So, you know, I think tattoos, I don't know if they, if they're more of a recent thing with musicians or if that uh, has been around for a while. I think it's more recent, isn't it? I think, I think musicians have always been tattooed. Yeah, I think it was more sailors who were tattooed really first, unless they were like musical sailors. I think, I think tattoos, just generally speaking, have become much more fashionable. I mean, musician or not, yeah. know, there's tons and tons of people who are way tatted up way more than there was you know back in the 80s and well you were both musicians and neither of you got tattoos until like later in life right i was yeah. too broke i couldn't afford a tattoo i was too indecisive i couldn't pick anything that i thought i could live with for the rest of but my I life but i think rock and roll musicians are like sailors and uh you know the only people who had tattoos before when we were kids is they didn't have to get a job 
tattoos were seen as like unseemly and like kind of like, oh, you got a tattoo, you're like a convict or, you know, some seedy guy. So rock and roll musicians have to give a shit about that. They had no job, real job. They don't have real jobs, rock and roll guys. <laughs> when, I, when we were going to do this them. topic, one of the first visuals I had in my mind was uh, of Mozart and his his ruffled clothing of the time period. And I'm wondering if even back then, you know, the quote unquote rock stars at the time who would be the classical musicians who were like um, being the the forefront of the revolution in the, in, in the arts. Do so you think he part. was more of a dandy than the average person? I think he was just wearing the clothes of the day. Isn't that what upper class people would wear back then? I don't well, know. I think so. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if he was more of a dandy or if he was like wearing the clothes of the time or if he did something. Yeah. Maybe it was his actions that were more different. Maybe the actions started to um, translate into fashion later on. I mean, fashion think, has various different guns or various different changes, obviously, throughout time. And uh, you never know why something suddenly becomes fashionable. Like, when did top hats become popular, you know, and why? Yeah, that's a that's a yeah. different thing. I think that that like the worlds of fashion and music started to kind of come together, um, maybe in the late 50s. And obviously in the 60s, and then they've never separated from that time. I mean, you know, Frank Sinatra was, a you know, the rock star of his time. But, you know, he dressed like an average dandy, well-dressed guy did back then. It wasn't a fashion necessarily. But, yeah. but I think it's a commercial thing in that, you know, you can sell, um, as the marketing guy, you can sell not only the music, you know, but you can sell also the clothes. Uh, you can sell, you know, like, you know, as an example, when I wore, I think we talked about this when we were talking about this episode, when I wore jeans that had holes in the knees, it was because I was skateboarding and crashing and tearing up my pants. Now, <laughs> now you buy pants with pre-made holes because you want to be a part of the skater punk rock music fashion and so it's a it's a it's a fashion statement when back then it was just um it was just because that's just the way it was well samantha fox started that everyone oh, god actually no that's fox. not true greg because i was watching a music video last night and i think it was robert plant back in the day back in the early 70s had entirely ripped up jeans and holes because he was skating all the time <laughs> <laughs> was he skating to the immigrant song? Is that and then he ripped up? I don't know if he bowl. was a skater, but but he probably had holes in his pants for other reasons. I don't think it was he went out and was like took a razor blade and was like, yeah, I need a hole in this knee. Yeah. You know what I mean? I think All that I know was is that just... you shouldn't be doing that arm gesture on Zoom, Brendan, because that'll yeah. get your wife hitting you in the back of the head again. <laughs> So I think Robert Plant was too busy getting blowjobs to buy new clothing. He had the money, but you know, he was doing coke and getting blowjobs every minute of the day. So well, I was just thinking about, you know, ethnic musicians. Um, they would wear costumes. For example, like the Opa bands from Germany where they wear their Lederhosen and uh polka bands where the like the Schmeggy brothers and the SCTV where they had and like mariachi the, bands. Right, mariachi bands with the with the sombreros and the uh, the giant guitars. So there's always like some 
I, maybe it's part of the entire show part of show business is like there has to be some kind of attire that goes with the style of music. So you brought up Sinatra. Now Sinatra is wearing essentially suits and ties when he was performing. Mm-hmm. But I think that was part of the aesthetic of that sure. particular genre of music. Now, well, at the time, who was then. who were the contemporaries in popular music of Sinatra, or, or less popular music, would be like the beatnik types, right? Um, or I guess Elvis came a bit later than Sinatra, about probably about ten years later than Sinatra. So, yeah. So he brought in like the leather. Well, he brought in the leather later. Yeah, that was like now we're getting into like the seventies. Like when he first well, started, he was, he was the leather in the early sixties. Was Elvis Presley right? Late fifties, he was. One I don't leather. know. Tell me, tell me more about your study of Elvis and his leather. <laughs> well, he, he um, had he a got... couple of different like phases, right? Well, mm-hmm. when he came back from uh, being in the military, yeah, and he did his his return concert. That's where he wore like the full leather getup. And was like showed like a different style than what he had had before, which is more similar to say like what Buddy Holly was wearing in the fifties. No, he was going back to his old style when he did that sixty-eight comeback show. That was way after he got out of the military. He he was like saying, "Look, I'm still a rock and roller. I used to wear leather jackets. Like he uh-huh. he used to wear leather jackets in the late 50s. So we're talking? Are we talking leather jacket, leather pants? What what both? Not leather pants. Do you have leather pants? Yeah, they got leather jacket leather and leather pants on that, I that particular Jim Morrison, concert. I thought Jim Morrison invented the leather pant. Well, Jim, Jim Morrison, Morrison wore the leather pants, but he didn't wear the leather jacket. No, because he didn't have to. I'd say he Elvis wore the leather jacket, but that was part of that, you know, 50s bad boy culture with the leather jacket and the greased back hair. Yeah, I mean, that the, was different. The James that was Dean thing? The James Thing. That was definitely different from what Sinatra was doing, but again, I think Sinatra was, a, you know, playing to a different audience. My only point was Sinatra. I don't think was being fashionable. He was just being an old white guy. Those were his street clothes. <laughs> That's what people yeah, that, He was wearing that whether he was on stage or or getting a bagel. That's just what he wore. Yeah. Whereas, um, do you I think, think Sammy Davis Jr. took him to the bagel shop? Wow, that was weirdly racist. But okay. well, no, it had nothing to do yeah. with racism. Sammy Davis Jr. was Jewish. Well, he became Jewish. He wasn't right. born Jewish. I don't think it had to do with his race. Everyone so, likes bagels. Everybody Come likes on. bagels. It doesn't have anything to do with being a Jew. Now people like bagels. I don't know if they're oh. necessarily as prevalent back in the 50s. Yeah, that's true. Not yeah. many people in knew New what bagels York were. They probably were. Because New York is just overrun with Jews. <laughs> yeah. So everybody got bagels. New York City. It's overrun with Jews. It's just like they're everywhere. They were. They were. They everywhere. put out Jew traps to get them out of their houses. <laughs> so they, they were. They were Jewish infestation in my in the corners of my home. They were grabbing young, impressionable black entertainers and turning them into Jews. It was a whole thing. Oh, Richard many, Pryor was this close to being Jewish. Just so you know, he, they almost had a little as well. Richard Pryor. Nipsey <laughs> Russell. Nipsey Russell, Nipsey maybe. Russell, almost had him. Name like Nipsey, you'd think he would be Jewish. No, I think he was uh, Episcopalian. <laughs> was he? I don't know. <laughs> but I do I, think there definitely was a time in the 70s, 80s, 80s, before like, you know, grunge and whatever, where there was a definite, like if you were in a rock band, you had to dress a certain cool way. You couldn't go up there with your normal clothes. It was like, I'm going to wear like, whatever like a flowery shirt or like 
cool tight pants. It was like definitely that's why when I was a little boy, I thought I could never be a rock star. I was a really good guitarist when I was 10 years old. But I was like, I'm not cool enough. I don't look like that. I'm a fat so, chubby guy who wears bad pants. And but when cool. you were in a band, what did you wear when you were on stage? What was your street kind clothes? Of your... Yeah, because it was punk. Punk had happened. And then it was just like, oh yeah, just wear your street clothes. It's silly to do all this like whatever foo for but you but wore a t- you wore a t-shirt and jeans whatever i wore yeah that I was wearing at work that day i'd run to the show from work and then play a show i didn't change i'd say well i gotta put on my leather pants because well, nobody no, like- it was punk rock but <laughs> but even even within punk rock there was there was there was a, obviously there was a certain amount of fashion yeah the big, like the bigger bands yeah yeah, that's like '90s, yeah, punk rock. But but you know, like uh, uh, the Sex Pistols were arguably more fashion than music. You're right. Yeah, the, all those early punk bands were very into the fashion. It was like all about like if you don't look right, we'll kick you out of the band. You could be the yeah. best musician in the band, like Glenn Matlock and the Sex Pistols. Well, he got kicked out because he admitted he liked Abbo one day. <laughs> but he also got kicked out because he didn't look punk. He was just a what, what, dude. What uh, instrument did Glenn Matlock play on the sex? Book? He played guitar and he played um all the best. He wrote a lot of the great songs in the sex books. He was the best musician in the band. Oh yeah, the rest he played were a bunch bass. Of clowns. Sorry, he played bass. And then they got Sid Vicious, a talentless fuck who looked cool. Who yeah, looked he did look cool. Yeah, so that was fashion. I mean, the Misfits. I think better. You know, I think is there's more music there. But there's also a whole lot of fashion. I mean, you look oh, yeah. at what the, what the Misfits started from their whole thing and that whole fashion. And then you thing. move into Guar. Yeah, that's a whole, whole next. That's yeah. like Kiss. Kiss. Yeah, yeah, Kiss and Guar. And these well, guys that wear these. Guar is like worse than Kiss in terms and of Slipknot. Yeah. Slipknot is another one. The in- in- Insane Clown Posse. Well, you know, they say that Kiss is Boomer Juggalos. It is. It's true. <laughs> I would agree with that statement. Yeah. So but there's a, the original Insane Clown Posse. This story just... still cracks me up. That I knew this garage band in the 90s in Tucson. They were called the Fells. And, you know, garage rock was kind of just about like, yeah, you wear your t-shirts and your jeans or whatever. Nothing too flashy. You, you don't want to be like ostentatious. And one of the guys in the band, because they had a very retro aesthetic, like yeah, we're retro. We don't like any new shit. And one of the guys in the band, who's a very competent bass player, wore Ren and Stimpy t-shirt to a show. And he got so much shit for that. Like, that's not what we're about. And that's not our thing. And So wait a second. Did, did they say to him, you idiot? Did they why, say was, the why was a Ren yeah, and yeah, they said, you idiot. Why, why was a Ren and Stimpy t-shirt objectionable? Because they were so, like, these guys were kind of so into their garage aesthetic. It was kind of pathetic. They were like nerds. They were like garage nerds. It's like, no. A garage nerd, wouldn't that be somebody who just, like, changes tires? I don't know why a garage nerd wouldn't watch Ren and Stimpy. Was that too mainstream at the time? I guess, yes. It was. Apparently it was. If he had a t-shirt that had My Favorite Martian on it, they would have been like, yeah, thumbs up. Or (laughs) uh, My Mother the Car. No, it wasn't retro enough, is what you're saying. Exactly. Was it like because there was definitely a retro aspect to the garage thing? The nineties, like, like the past two decades haven't happened. 
we're still the Sonics in the well, 60s. Speaking of ridiculous things, we, uh, we, we have kind of missed one of our segments, which is uh, when we ask Greg a uh, pointed legal questions. So um, I think it's time that uh, we make that happen. I hope so. it's about fashion. <laughs> we'll get back to that. But we, we should at least, you know. Um, Is it all right to wear white after Labor Day legally? What? Anyway, only here if, we go. Only if, only if you're racist. He has an opinion, may not always be right. Can you hear he's anything? He's a real fake lawyer. Yes. He's old and he's white. Ask him a question, because he's a good egg for bogus advice. Ask Greg. Ask Greg? Ask Greg! Well, this is the part of our show, everybody, where... We ask Greg questions of a legal nature, and you're certainly welcome to uh, ask him questions as well. If you have any handy who's there on uh, YouTube, um, he will give you his fake lawyer opinion about what is right and what is wrong. So I will start things off, Greg. Um, dear Greg, my boyfriend hadn't paid his restitution in six months. He paid it all today. Will the judge drop the warrant, and should he? Restitution, you say? Yes. That's such a boring legal question. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's too boring to give an opinion to. I would say, sure. All right, all right. I'll ask you a different question. Dear Greg, I'm on SSI disability. Can I be garnished by a collection agency about a credit card that I've been unable to pay on? Of course you can. Yeah. Is it okay, just though? Just because you're gimpy doesn't mean like you get special treatment under the law. Wow, these are real questions. <laughs> Yeah, I try to have real questions for Greg so we can give real legal answers. But uh, all right, finally, one more, Greg. I'll make this quick. If police raid my house for drugs and detain me, do they have to show me the warrant before they search if I demand it? Yes, they do. They do. But <laughs> if they find any drugs and they decide to use them, they have to do it with you, share them with you, <laughs> hang out right. and smoke the pot with you and they can't yeah. just take for themselves i think that i think that's oregon specific uh yeah greg i don't know that that translates to utah yeah the cops are not raiding people up. for pot in oregon greg they used to though okay but what let's say it's meth then so you're saying that the cops if they raid the house that if they find meth they have to share that with the meth they don't read in oregon they don't read for meth any drug we passed the law well if, if the, the point what greg was making was if the cops are going to do the drug they are required to share oh. yeah. if they just take it in fine but if they're going to smoke the weed or the crack or the meth then they have to share with the owner of the house no that's that's uh ipso facto drug attacko <laughs> hocus pocus <laughs> habeas that, corpus that's just common courtesy that's what it is uh, well that's just not oh. being an asshole it's for common sure. courtesy Okay. You send this guy to jail, at least smoke about on the way to the jail. Right. So everybody out there, if you have uh, legal questions for Greg, I don't know, Brenda, do you happen to have one handy for Greg? Um, so, uh, dear Greg, mm -hmm. um, I uh, lassoed my alligator to a parking meter um, while I bought my scratchy tickets and my cigarellos. Am I required by law to pay for the ticket that they stapled to my gator's head? 
Well, this, there's actually a precedent to this. In, uh, it was Mr. Ed versus the state of California mm. where Mr. Ed's trainer tied him up to a palm tree and the same thing happened. They, uh, and he did, uh, he unfortunately did have to pay for it because Mr. Ed's rich. So Mr. Ed, Mr. Ed, Mr. Ed is rich, the horse? He was the richest horse in Hollywood. Yeah, he, was, he made more money than you'll ever see. He had a TV show, Matt. Where where did he put his money? What in the horse bank? <laughs> he, he's he no come on let's not sugarcoat it. The horse he bank. blew all of his money in dive bars in Tijuana, <laughs> getting done the nasty is the only place a horse can go. Mr. Ed well, yeah, went to donkey sad. shows. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, that's what I'm <laughs> saying. Horse shows, yeah. And it and the big thing was people always go because at the end when he came they'd always say Wilbur. Is that what he would say? That was the big finish, the money shot. <laughs> well, that's fantastic news. But yeah, I mean, a, a crocodile or I'm sorry, an alligator is just like a an automobile, a vehicle. I mean, it's taking up space. Wait, a crocodile is just like an automobile? An all alligator, I meant to say. Have you ridden many alligators, Greg? No, in the eyes of the law, as far as oh. parking law, traffic law. I thought maybe you, you had like a history of riding alligators. I, you, you, can, around, you can ride them. There are there used to be some places in Florida about an hour and a half, maybe two hours north of me, where uh, kids uh, could ride alligators. Um it was pretty much a common thing. This before yeah, I think Greg would probably have somebody else drive the alligator for him because he doesn't have a license to drive. So he would probably be like no, a that's passenger. Why, if there were alligators a passenger on the alligator is what he would be. If there he would ride the alligator bus is what he would if ride. If there were alligators running around Portland, I would definitely hitch a ride on one, like walking to work every morning. I'd just be like, there's an alligator. I'm going to jump on him. So the yeah. alligator is heading to your place of work? Yeah. I'm making heads. Despite the you know apex nature of the alligator, there is definitely a porky pig you know height and weight requirement to ride the alligator. None of us would qualify. The alligator would just fucking sit down and go fuck you. Yeah. You got to be a smaller child. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> so this was to really a real thing to ride they an let, alligator. They let children ride alligators. Yeah, for real. Yeah, the alligators never turned around and took a bite. Uh, they've kept them well fed. Apparently, you know, if you feed your alligators well, uh, they tend not to turn on their owners. That's good. One yeah. should take care of one's alligator if you don't want to turn a bite. You. All right, well, let's get back to our client. Thank you, Greg, once again for your your stunning uh, legal advice for the my the acumen to the law offices of Quibbles, Quibble, and Bicker. So back to our client, which was Rock and Roll Coochie Who. I don't know who the hell came up with that title. Anyway, you did. Oh right, yeah. But you guys, you guys wanted that one. That was like my throwaway one, which just sounded kind of funny. Well, that's why it's we nice. chose it. Yeah, coochie who? <laughs> coochie. I like it. It rolls off the tongue. So that makes me think about the plasmatics, actually. Punk rock. The oh. Right, so the Plasmatics were a punk band back in the uh, 80s, everybody. And the lead singer was a, a woman who would wear um, electrical tape over her nipples. Wendy and, Williams. And had a mohawk. Yeah, didn't she later wind up having like a talk show that's popular now? 
I think she's dead. Oh, is she? Okay. Yeah, she died. There's think, some Wendy Williams passed. that has a talk show, right? No, now. that's a that's an African American woman, and yeah, it's a totally different. So she doesn't <laughs> run her show with electric, electrical tape over her nipples, then. No, that would be cool, but no. That would actually be a talk show that I would probably watch, I would think. Wow, she died in 1998. I thought it was much more recent than that. She's been dead for a while. Yeah. Well, she looks kind of a rough rough existence, from what I remember correctly. She was kind of like the female Sid Vicious to an extent, but she survived much longer, obviously. I don't know if she was a... She wasn't a drug addict, though, I don't think. I think she died of, like, she was, like, rock climbing or something. She was, like, very athletic and kind of like an Amazon woman. I don't think she, I don't think she was a drug addict. I think she was pretty clean. Oh? Uh, she first attempted suicide. She then attempted suicide. And then she died of a self-inflicted gun wound. Okay. That's like rock climbing. It's very much like rock climbing. Very much. It's like Holy rock God. and roll climbing that, you know, if you reach the pinnacle, you got to shoot yourself in the head. Okay, that was off the top of my head. I don't know how she died, but I knew it wasn't drug overdose like most rock stars. Anytime yeah, it says, star- Williams died of a self-inflicted gunshot wound on April 6, 1998, when she was 48. Svensson, her partner for more than 20 years, returned home in the area where they had been living. Uh, he found a package she left for him that contained some noodles that he liked a packet of seeds for growing garden greens and some oriental massage balm. So she was very thoughtful. Yeah, she gave him some fucking ramen, some noodles. Yeah, and the man I mean, she left behind. So he could move on. She left him that and a pool of blood to clean up. So it was a combination yeah. of things, it seems like. Yeah, that was a whole hot mess. <laughs> Brain splattered all over the place. Yeah, that yeah never it wasn't fun. rock climbing, Greg. She herself. A lot of those way. rock stars go for the not just the the drug overdoses, Greg, but they go for like the the blood splatterings as well of their heads in different places, which you know is always a strange thing for me to to hear about, and it's always sad. Courtney Love had him killed. Just saying. Yeah, well, I wasn't necessarily thinking specifically of Kurt Cobain, but you know, there's a few others. He's the most there. recent famous one that blew his brains out. Wasn't didn't uh, Chris Cornell shoot himself? No, he hung himself. He hung himself. Oh, okay. So. Was that sex thing? A sex what about, thing uh, what about Chester Bennington from Lincoln Park? Was he a hanging as well? <laughs> Lincoln Park? I have no idea. <laughs> and I don't care. Well, <laughs> I don't really I care, care The guy had a really he good was, voice. And it was an yeah, he was, killed, he was killed by Fred Dirtz from <laughs> Limp Biscuit. He just went in and just murdered him. Because <laughs> he did it for the nookie. I don't know. Fred <laughs> Dirtz. So it was actually Fred Durst who took out Chester Bennington. Yes. But it was for it, the Nookie, specifically. They were battling for the worst band of all time, and Fred <laughs> was not going to let uh, Linkin Park I got to give Linkin Park a lot more credit than Limp Bizkit in terms for music purposes. <laughs> they had mm-hmm. a, lot of, a lot of better songs than, than Durst ever did, so I'll, I'll give them much more credit for that. But he had a lot more fashion, in my opinion. Well, you know, the interesting thing about Fred Durst's band is I always got a kick out of his guitarist who wore those black contact lenses. Uh-huh. So where it was it was always like this interesting horror creature who was on stage with him because you couldn't see, obviously, his pupils. Like, his eyes were like one big pupil. So yeah, I think that's like an interesting fashion statement right there. That is. Yeah. They were trying to keep in the line with uh, Slipknot, the horror bands. 
Not like really. Fucking... It was only the guitarist who did that, and it was only the contact lenses that he was wearing. Yeah, I'm right. saying Slipknot is wearing scary. like those scary masks that nearly every member of the band wore. Yeah, which is ridiculous. A lot different. Is it ridiculous? Yes. Why? Why is it ridiculous that they would decide to wear costumes while they were performing? Because that's all they had. They sucked. And so they were like, no, Slipknot was a good band. And they tricked all these kids into liking them because it was like, ooh, they look cool and scary. War was better than Slipknot. I disagree. Well, you also think that Linkin Park is better than Biscuit, so. Yeah, and I think many people would agree with that, too. Oh, yeah? Is that right? Are you like a are you a big Fred Durst fan, Brandon? I didn't realize I I was tromping on your fandom. I think they all suck. Oh, okay. I gotta say, Gore. That was just the the condescending nature of your. Oh well, everybody would agree that it was just that. I don't know that I said everybody would agree. I said many people. Oh, oh, okay. Well, let's let's quibble about the words. Many people with shitty musical taste would quibble. (laughs) Many people with shitty musical taste would agree. I I definitely give that to Matt. I can. Yeah, yes. A lot of people with shitty musical taste would have an argument about who was shittier, Lincoln Park or Limp Bizkit. And I okay, well, I I've already learned from you know being on the show with you guys for, for nearly two years now that I know how you feel about my musical taste, and I'll just have to say well, the, the, the feeling's mutual, so it's all okay. Oh, yeah, okay. you've never really held back about your opinions about our musical taste, so. <laughs> I don't know why we should do the same. I, Matt, I like I like most bands, not necessarily. Matt, can we have a lightning round? A lightning round of what? Right said Fred or Lou Bega. <laughs> Who wins? Lou Bega. Lou, Lou Bega wins that one, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Because he's I, too I, sexy I, for me. his mambo, is what he is. So well, yeah, they were both one hit wonders that nobody But knows I thought this was a lightning round. I know well, but... it's a lightning round. There was just well, one hit of lightning. There wasn't any more lightning. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> lightning anomaly. Come on. Okay, so 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 Matt, you have to come up with one. What for Greg? Well, for all of us, like you know, the you know, whatever. This band or that band. This and it band can't or be, that band. It can't be Lincoln Park or Limp Biscuit, because we've already talked about that. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Uh let me think. Uh and it can't Fears be for Hoover's Fears thing. or Flock of Seagulls. Flock of Seagulls. Black of Seagulls. I see. I'd go the other way. I would say Tears. Hold on. That's because you're fucking crazy. Obviously. (laughs) Um, Let me think of one. Um, All right. Go ahead. Lightning uh, round. This is very slow lightning we have here. I I know. Come on. What about uh, Wait, I have one for Matt because you won't even know. Hoobastank or Godsmack? You know, I actually, I think I prefer Hoobastank over Godsmack. I think I would agree. Yeah. I don't I, even I've know tried to like Godsmack and I just I I'm just not getting into their stuff. It's just incredibly <laughs> plotting and boring to me. Whereas at least Hoobastank had like that one song The Reason, which wasn't wasn't a bad pop song. Um uh Dead on Arrival or Millie Vanilli. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna give it to Dead on Arrival because at least they did their own music. Okay, fair enough. Greg. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, Juice Newton or Nicolette Larson? <laughs> well, Juice Newton, I think she just she had more hits and her name was more interesting. I just don't know the other one, so I'm going with Juice Newton. <laughs> I actually can't remember Nic- Nicolette Larson had a one hit wonder. What was she? Fuck. 
I just don't know. know. It doesn't even ring up. She had a big sort of hit in the seventies. Yeah. We'll just who Firefall or Starland vocal band? Oh, Firefall. now I'm out. I don't know. Oh, Firefall. <laughs> no, welcome back to, to the, the lightning round them. of crap bands from the seventies. <laughs> Leo's hair. Leo's hair, or I can't even think of someone that ridiculous. <laughs> air supply. Leo yeah. Sayer definitely beats out air supply. I would go with Everyone Leo Sayer over air supply. <laughs> okay, let's go crazy here though. Kuba stink versus air supply. Air supply. Well, uh, gosh, you know. <laughs> I don't know. I would say that I would prefer to listen to Hooba Stink over Air Supply. Air Supply, but Air Supply had more hits than Hooba Stink, so there's that. So, well, we're not we're, we're talking personal preferences. I think. Oh okay. yeah. All right. Well then, we're not Casey Kasem. <laughs> <laughs> it's got a good beat. All right, Greg. Uh, Deep Blue Something or the Fabulous Thunderbirds? Deep Blue Something. I don't know who they are. <laughs> they were. Uh, I go with Deep Blue Something. <laughs> they did the song "Breakfast at Tiffany's." Oh, yeah. That's that. I think of all the shitty songs in the past twenty-five years. That's not the worst. No, <laughs> no. no I, I, I was. I don't know what the worst would be, but that was just one that I happened to pick. That's a, that's a lot of bad songs in the past twenty-five years. Because I'm an old man, and I don't yes. like music now. Apparently, okay. So, so we we are we drove our client I, away. I think we need to work on that one. I think that could be fun, we, we, but we just. We can't do it off the top of our heads, but maybe we should do a lightning round of wait, guys. I really movies, <laughs> shitty movie versus shitty movie. Which one do you pick? Or <laughs> actors or musicians or I don't know. I think it'd be fun. Wait, I got a really challenging one: Public Enemy, NWA. Oh, Public NWA. Enemy. Public I, Enemy is yeah. so much better than NWA. There's a lot of people love NWA though. That's why I asked. I, I mean, I, I love NWA, but Public Enemy actually was saying something about something as opposed to just, you know, fuck it, suck it, shit in a bucket. I'm from South <laughs> Central. That was their biggest song, wasn't it? Fuck it, suck it, shit in a bucket? <laughs> Pretty much. I mean, I That's love NWA, song. don't get me wrong, but you can't even compare NWA to Public Enemy in terms of lyrics and what they're saying in the message. Okay, here, here's one that's divisive. Tupac or Notorious B.I.G.? Oh, B.I.G., 100%. East Coast. I don't know either. <laughs> you don't know either, Greg. All right, yeah, how about this one, Greg? Song. Dr. Dre or Snoop Dogg? Snoop Dogg. Yeah. Do, Greg, do, do you either know of people? you two actually have an opinion on these? I don't I've... really know any of this shit. <laughs> do you know that there is an artist named Snoop Dogg or Snoop Lion? Exactly. And I've never heard one Tupac song in my life. I know Tupac Shakur was a huge figure in rap. I know his history. But Notorious uh, B.I.G.? Come on. I don't know one song by him either. I do know Public Enemy. That's one of the few rap bands I do enjoy. Well, we're, we're, no, right. That's because we're going back. KRS-One or Curtis Blow? Ooh, that's that's hard. I'm going to go with <laughs> Curtis Blow. Uh, KRS-One all day. I think KRS-One is, is cool, but Curtis Blow is more original. Like, he's... He's more old school. Well, they were both old school. Uh, KRS One is definitely not as old school as Curtis Blow. They're they're contemporaries. Mm, okay. Yeah, I mean KRS One may have come out a couple of years after Curtis Blow, but not that much more. It just Wasn't Curtis like, Blow like one of the earliest rap guys. Like yeah, yeah, Curtis Blow goes way back. I just don't think a KRS One is going that far back, but I could be wrong. 
yeah, like Run DMC era, just yeah. coming out. Curtis Blow, Curtis Blow was around. Grandmaster Flash. Yeah. Well, that's even before that shit. Well, yeah, that's like way back. And that was sweet, generous. Why, why are, Matt, are you looking at something? Like, you're no. really just rolling with the hits on rap music right now. I am not completely unaware of different genres of music. So I can do like trip hop. Apparently, Matt's an expert on trip hop. Trip hop. What's the best trip hop band? I want to do a deep deep dive after the show on that. Um, I think Thievery Corporation might be one to look into, but they're more of like a dubstep, though, I guess, than trip hop. I can't stand dubstep. Okay. Dubstep. I don't even know what that is. It's too repetitive. It's when you have uh, George Bush around and he takes small steps to going places. That's a heavy, heavy dad joke right there. You just gave me a migraine. <laughs> well, that and the fact that we've got 15 minutes over. So I want to thank very much Ryan Casata for uh, coming on our show today. Um, strangely enough, the, he was totally willing and uh, interested in talking to us. As you know, and and uh, you should all check out his stuff. It's actually got some pretty good songs. Go to ryancasata.com. Uh, mm-hmm. If you want to see Greg Pedix anywhere, just find your local dumpster. He might be uh, looking around uh, trying to find like a burger or two. And uh, no, Brendan... I don't want competition. Don't tell them. And where I, I, you'll see me at the store because I do a lot of shopping. So you know, <laughs> Brendan, you can find in Florida. He's probably one of the few in the store wearing a mask. Um, Nope. Very possible. No, you're not wearing masks nope. these days. Oh, hell no. Not in, not in Florida. I'm not wearing a mask. He's the few in the store who doesn't have an alligator tied up to the I don't have an alligator, and I'm not wearing my, like, house slippers. He's one of the few not masturbating in front of the 7-Eleven down there in Florida. I'm so not that guy or girl either, yes. So you, that's how you can find Brendan as well. Um, but uh, we are on uh, various different social medias. If you want to check us out, our website is www.qsblaw.org. We do have merchandise. If you want to buy shirts or glasses, or if uh, Brendan has come up with the Disco Jihad shirt yet or not, um, it may it. be there one of these days. Um, just so everybody knows, uh, in June, we'll be having our two-year anniversary. We'll be doing another Quibbly Award Show, so uh, keep an eye out for that. All right, well, this has been, once again, the Law Offices of Quibble, Squabble, and Bicker. Now we end this show. Your consultation with the Law Offices of Quibble, Squabble, and Bicker has ended. You may pay your retainer at www.qsblah.org. Please exit to the right of the water cooler and grab a candy from the front desk. We hope to see you again soon, but you need to leave now. I said leave. Why don't they ever listen? Get out! Get out! <laughs>